Twice a week, Van Lathan and Rachel Lindsay dissect the biggest topics in Black culture, politics, and sports on their show, Higher Learning. They discuss the most important and timely conversations while also frequently inviting guests on the podcast and occasionally debating each other. Check out Higher Learning on Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com, A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com, Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. Thank you for tuning in to another episode of the Bakari Salas Podcast. Today, we'll be interviewing my good friend and Washington Post sports reporter, Kent Babb. We'll talk about college football and his new book, which is so, so dope, Across the River. But before I get to Kent, uh, I've got to talk about this Defund the Police Amendment sponsored by Alabama Senator Tommy Tuberville that passed 99 to 0 a couple of days ago. Here's the clip from the floor speech between Tuberville and New Jersey Senator Cory Booker. I call on my colleagues to support our law enforcement by voting yes for this amendment. Opposing my amendment is a vote in support of defunding the police and against the men and women in blue. The gentleman's time has expired. Madam President. Senator from New Jersey. I am so excited. This is perhaps the highlight of this long and painful and torturous night. This is a gift. If it wasn't complete abdication of Senate procedures and and, and esteem, I would walk over there and hug my colleague from Alabama. And I will tell you right now, thank God, because there's some people who have said that they're members of this deliberative body that want to defund the police, to my horror. And now this senator has given us the gift that finally, once and for all, we can put to bed this scurrilous accusation that somebody in this great esteemed body would want to defund the police. So let all of us, a hundred people, not walk, but sashay down there and vote for this amendment and put to rest the lies. And I am sure I will see no political ads attacking anybody here over defund the police. And I would ask unanimous consent to add something else to this obvious bill. Can we add also that every senator here wants to defund the police, believes in God, country, and apple pie? Thank you. So I'm sure you're all asking, what's the point on this given that it's a non-binding and largely symbolic amendment? Well, the answer here is simple. Politics and midterm elections. The reality is Booker is excited because the vote gave every Democrat a chance to say that they don't support defunding the police. And while I'm sure many listeners are firmly in the defund and abolish camps, the fact of the matter is that politically defund itself remains deeply unpopular with voters 
even if the alternatives to policing that defunding would support are popular with voters. The Republican playbook on winning back the House and the Senate in 2022 is to make voters think that Democrats want to defund the police, that black-on-black crime is killing our cities, and all the brown people are crossing the border. That's the playbook in 2022, and Democrats have to find a way to beat it. We all take issue with the police, and I fight them literally every day for abuses and misconduct. But my hope is that even if you're firmly in the defund or abolition camp, there's still a realization that most Americans aren't in said camps, and we want to see better policing, not no police at all. Those are the politics, and I think we all be better served to focus on the issue at hand, which is police reform, and do the hard persuasion work it'll take to get people to move closer to reality where they need fewer police. Until then, though, we can't give the Republicans the win at the ballot box supporting a movement that will put people like Tommy Tummerville and Tom Cotton in the majority. And that's that on that. Now on to our show with my friend, Kent Babb. Man, today I have the privilege of interviewing on the Bakari Sellers podcast, somebody I go way back with who actually got his start. He actually learned how to write from a young man named John Monk. No, just <laughs> but he got his start at the state newspaper or one of his, that was one of his stops along his, his career. But um, now he has a great new book out, but what's going on, Kent Babb? How are you, my friend? I'm doing good, man. Thanks so much for having me on this. I know you're doing the daily grind of trying to go out and sell this book. How, how <laughs> is it in this, the zoom world now, instead of book stops, you're, you're doing zoom world in it, man. It's uh it's a little bit different. I, my first book uh, did not have quite the the wide audiences. This that was a, a biography of Allen Iverson. Um, whoops! And uh, there, that answered your question. Just like a lot of uh, crazy stuff, microphones on a piece of plywood, uh, basement dungeon. I'm, I'm afraid of the sunlight now, man. I don't like to go outside no, I anymore. See it. No, I tell folk all the time, man, that I'm the only person who had a New York Times bestseller doing an entire book tour with no pants on. I just sat in front of my my computer and. <laughs> Just traveled around the world, but look, this is how we our, our guests are normal. Or they are normalized. They understand how I start each episode because I started the same way. Because one of the things I want people to do is get a chance to know who you are. So, walk us through the arc of your career. And you started your career at a newspaper that many of us know well, which is the State. Walk us through the major stops on your career from the State to your beat now at the Washington Post. I was lucky enough to start uh, covering high school sports, mostly football, uh, right out of uh, the, the University of South Carolina. And that was a lucky job. Then three months into that, I started covering the Steve Spurrier Gamecocks, a team that you may know well. Um, mm-hmm. And then the Kansas City Star in 2007 made the foolish decision to have me go and cover the NFL and the Kansas City Chiefs. And this is way before they started winning Super Bowls, way before Patrick Mahomes uh, I, I like to joke around that like I, I learned the art of writing the losing game story because they were terrible in those in those years. Uh, so I lo- wrote a lot of losing game stories, became a columnist for like five minutes. And then in 2012, <laughs> uh, the Washington Post hired me to write features kind of with an emphasis on the NFL. And my job now has evolved into more like sports and society, culture, some politics, stuff like that. So there are all these intersections that sports touches and uh, my job is to go find them and write about them. Man, that is, I mean, that sounds like a dream job. I know there are a lot of young people out here listening, like, wait a minute, all he does is write about sports. I mean, when you, when you get prepared every day, do you have like one of those encyclopedic memories of, uh, of, of sports or did you grow up reading? You know how some people say they grew up reading the box scores. Is that kind of how you got your start? 
Man, I used to, seriously. Like, um, I mean, back in the day, like when the Atlanta Braves were like winning the division every year, I mean, I knew all this like crazy trivia that like David Justice and Greg Maddox had the same birthday, like born on the same day in 1996. I think it was April 14th, 1966. That may not be true, but it's close. And, and I used to know it for sure. And I could just remember all this crazy stuff. And I knew like in high school that I wanted to be a sports writer. And I joke now that I used to care way more about the sports and the writing. And now I'm like way more into the writing than the sports. What's funny is like, I I still love football. Like that's my favorite sport, despite like all of its many, many, many problems. But I like basketball, but like, I don't watch sports that much anymore. I mean, it's kind of work. You're you're like, you're grown. So (laughs) (laughs) yeah, like you, man, I, I got a little one and like, she goes to bed and by the end, man, I'm just tired. I can't, I can't stay up till midnight watching the end of a game. And so my best story, my worst story is a couple years ago, my editor uh, asked me if I wanted to go cover the Super Bowl in Atlanta. And I'm like, yes, as long as I don't have to stay for the game. Because like all the fun stuff at the Super Bowl. Yeah, I know. Everybody makes that face. The fun stuff at the Super Bowl <laughs> happens before the game. Like I've covered two. I've been at two the whole week, New York and New Orleans. Uh, and this, like the Super Bowl game is a game. You know, the halftime show was a big deal. But like the game is a game. And I was just like, yeah, yeah let no, me go I, down I, there. See, everybody, maybe, everybody. Maybe, yeah, maybe Miami or New Orleans. I may not make it to the game. Bakari may be passed <laughs> out, passed out in some bar in New Orleans with a with a press pass on. But I would intend on going to the game. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody likes that story except me. But I, I, I keep telling it because it because it amuses me. It, it's a terrible, terrible, uh, like first world journalism problem. But I think it's very amusing. No worries. We'll get to your book Across the River shortly, but you did mention this and I, I can't start there. Your first book chronicled the life of the greatest player ever in the history of basketball under six feet tall. His name is Allen Iverson. What was it about AI that drew you to him? And where does AI rank in your opinion all time amongst guards? Man, that's a great question. I just had a long, long late night debate uh, with my friend and colleague Jerry Brewer at the Post about like whether Allen Iverson is the best guard of all time. And I think I said he was not because like I I don't know if he works today. You know, like I don't know if I I think there's a lot of Allen Iversons out there, but like in 96, 97, 98. Mm -hmm. There were none like there are no like slash through the lane, go to the basket. I'm not scared of you, Shaq. Come get me, Kobe. The thing that I loved about him and I was a fan of AI before I was a biographer of AI is that he was fearless and he was not going to change. Like one of my favorite anecdotes in the whole book is Larry Brown went up to AI at one point and was like, look, man, you can't keep wearing these clothes, like you can't be wearing like your jeans and a jersey like that, not becoming of an NBA superstar. So he went out and bought a suit because Michael Jordan wore these awesome uh, suits and uh, wore it uh, to the game one time, wore it to the arena one time. His friends clowned him. It was just like, man, this is not you. So Larry Brown walks in the locker room after the game and found that suit balled up. This is like a $3,000 suit, man. Found that suit balled up like under his locker and he never wore it again ever. And I mean, but but I, I think that's cool, you know, because he knew who he was. He, he stopped yeah. knowing who he was for like a minute. And then he became like this great anti-hero that like David Stern hated, that white people kind of hated. They just didn't like people didn't know what to make of AI and his cornrows and his tattoos and the way he spoke. But like, man, like why I think he worked is because like, remember, like that's the same time that we fell in love with like Stone Cold Steve Austin and Tony Soprano. Oh, yeah. Like we, yeah. we loved like 
you know, kind of like this anti-hero that like was a little bit raw, you know, but like we could still pull for him. So, man, I, I love that guy. I was pulling for him in 01 against the Lakers. Uh, that was just like too, too strong of a team. Yeah, it's no, rough. that was one of the best. That was one. <laughs> the Lakers went 16 and one in the playoff that year. That was, that was yeah. rough. But he, he and that, that one game, that one game was to the Sixers. <laughs> yeah, no. Yeah, exactly. And he played, he played his ass. It's funny because in that story, in the AI story, there's one hero. Well, there are a few heroes, but there's one major hero. And that's John Thompson. Because here you had this guy who almost lost. He almost was going to jail forever. I mean, it was bullshit. Yep. But still, almost going to jail forever. And he here he is. He ends up at, at Georgetown. I mean, that, that's just that's just amazing. You also cover the college football beat. So what should we expect from my Gamecocks this year? And what's the ceiling for Shane Beamer? Man, um, I think this year, uh, pain. I'm going down for the first game, or at least I'm planning to go down for the first game. We'll see what Delta has to say about that. But who do, um, we, who do we play? Who do we play in that game? It's like it's, it's Eastern Illinois, which like I think will be a win. Um, I, think I think we it's should be beat Eastern one. Illinois. Yeah, e- Eastern I think Illinois. So. And then we go. My, the game that I find to be a dangerous game is we go to Greenville, North Carolina, to play ECU in Greenville. I'm like, what athletic director signed up for this? Like, who does that? <laughs> Oh man, we don't want to talk about no Ray Tanner on this, do we? Uh, no, we don't. That's, please, yeah, this nah. is that's like inside Gamecocks yeah, uh, craziness. No, yeah. Like, um, yeah, could. I don't know. I, I think Beamer can recruit. I think if they can pull uh, one win out that they shouldn't this year, or keep it close against like a Georgia or Florida, I'll be happy. I I like Shane Beamer because I hated Will Muschamp. I'm supposed to be impartial. I'm not supposed to care. I cared. I just I, I cared way too much. Well, let me just tell you this. I, I did not want Shane Beamer. I hated Will Muschamp. I cared a lot. Will Muschamp knows that I disliked him. And I think that Ray Tanner is an awesome baseball coach and doesn't need to be anywhere near the administration for anybody's yeah. school. So that that is my that's my wholehearted opinion on 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 it all. So uh before we one more question, because I gotta ask you this because you know so much about this. But what about Oklahoma and Texas joining the SEC? Tell me what your thoughts are about that, because I love the fact that Oklahoma is joining the SEC. I think it's going to be uber competitive. And Texas, I mean, they're barely as good as Texas Tech, so I don't even care about that. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, like in college football in particular, I like chaos. I like messes, you know. And I want, (laughs) I mean, look, I mean, Texas is getting tired of going, they're they're tired of losing to Big 12 teams, so they're going to go lose to some SEC teams. And so I don't really think it helps them. I mean, they're going to go lose to Alabama and Florida every year now, and so, I don't know. I like it because people hate it, I think. And it doesn't matter. I don't want Clemson in the SEC. I could live without that. Um, but also, like, I, I kind of want Clemson to, to, like, play a real schedule every year. And, like, so that part is appealing. But as far as the two teams that are going to be joining, I don't know. Like, it doesn't make any difference. I am a 16-team playoff guy, and I just I want everybody in, man. I, I want everybody to have a shot. You, I want it to be you messy. You woke up this morning and chose violence and chaos. Okay. Yes. I'm the Joker. Yeah. Like, I I love that stuff, man. (laughs) This episode is brought to you by Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Trello help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. A-T-L-A-S-S. I-A-N dot com. Atlassian. Tap the banner or visit this episode's page to learn more. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, 
nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit jiffylube.com. All right, let's talk about your newest book, Across the River. What's it about and why did you write this book? Uh, So a couple years ago, 2018, I wrote an article about uh, somebody who was being very honest about gun violence in his city. So New Orleans is a place where, you know, we talk we talk about gun violence in this country. We tend to talk about the south side of Chicago. That's not just misguided. It's also kind of an insult to people of New Orleans. Like they want to be the best at this terrible thing. And it's actually worse in New Orleans because like shots get fired any at any time of day at, you know, in any neighborhood just the other night. Uh, on Saturday night, the first hours of August, five people got shot on Bourbon Street. So, I mean, this happens. It doesn't happen a lot, but it happens. Like, the murder rate in New Orleans is actually worse than, like, Chicago, St. Louis, Baltimore, and it's a way smaller country. I went down and covered Will Smith, the the former Saints player, his his having been gunned down. And I was just like, man, there's what just happened? way more didn't to that, the story. Didn't that, trial, didn't that trial end up with the guy being, they just re- remanded it, didn't they? And he was let out on yeah. bond. Yeah. So like, um, I think he's probably going to be retried. He initially got convicted of manslaughter. I haven't read like a ton into uh, Cordell Hayes's latest, uh, what, what what's happened with him. But there was a fender bender after dinner. They argued, guns got drawn. Uh, Will Smith got killed and his wife got shot. And it's just like, I mean, that's just like sort of how you settle stuff, you know, in New Orleans. Those are, I mean, like, but those crazy. are two big boys. Those boys yeah. were big boys. But why, why did you choose Algiers? I feel like this could have been in a lot of places, but what uh, what was it about the Algiers community that drew you in? It's so close to the New Orleans that so many of us know. Like People like me do not go to places like Algiers. Like We stay on the French Quarter where it's quote-unquote safe. That's where all the bars are. That's where all the voodoo tours and things like that are. Uh, the first time I got into an Uber and asked him to take me to Algiers, uh, the driver asked me if, if I had the wrong address in there. And because like, you know, a white guy just does not often cross the, the bridge. And, you know, I mean, it, it is, is, is a very different part of this city than I was used to going in. I'd never been over there. And within 30 minutes of me being at the school, these, these people are showing like how honest and authentic they are, like even with a reporter present. There's a young uh, senior running back telling me the first time he broke into a house, uh, there's a top assistant coach saying like, man, I used to sell pills and weed. Football saved me. And like you hear a lot of this, you know, and I, I explore stuff like, you know, are sports something that really like solve these problems or bring us together? Or is it something like particularly like in the in the Trump and post Trump era 
that we just say? Do we, does that make us feel better somehow? And for the first time, I found, you know, a coach and a program. They didn't really care what I thought. They're just like, this is how it is. You know, they're going to show them the real. That's the that's the saying down there. They don't BS. They don't lie. Being inauthentic is the greatest sin. Uh, so they show them the real every day and like show them like how to survive, how to get out, uh, how to how to succeed. And not only that, but like you're worthy of success. Oh, you know, wow. like you can do this. And, you know, like this is through football. Yes, but it's not about football. No, I mean, when I read your book, uh, that was one of the first things that I thought I thought you had. I, when you sent it to me, when you say, could you could you send it to me? I thought you were sending me a football book. And. That's one of the most nuanced things. And I, you know, the cover, you see a football player, but it is, it's more context than that. And I can see this being a movie. Have they started talking about that yet? There might've been some talk. Yeah. Don't, don't, don't ruin it on this show of all shows. Uh, So what do you want readers to take away from this? I mean, I, I took out, I took that this was like, like what the blind side like should have been. Like, this is like the antithesis to it. Like, the blind side was the uh, is Cloroxed Manila version of what it's like not having a way out. And this was like, all right, this is what's happening. This is real life. Yeah. I mean, I, I think if people like really want to know how hard it is, you know, for people of color in certain neighborhoods in this country, you know, read this book. I mean, like, you know, white people, you know, and people like me, look, man, I, I'll, I'll just be the first to admit, like for a long time, I was content to pretend that like, it's just not that bad. You know, it can't be, it can't be as bad as like what the news media says, even in the news media, you know, so like, it's just easy to pretend that, you know, this is far away. This is like a different world, but it's not. I mean, like, it's just, it's comforting to people who look like me to say like, oh, if you pull yourself up by your bootstraps, you can make it to college. If you work hard enough, you can get a good job. That's just not true for a lot of people in this country, Bakari. And like, you know, the, the protagonist in this book, a young guy named Joe Thomas, he knows he wants to get to college, but he doesn't even know what college is. Like it's something he's seen in movies. That was the crazy. He doesn't know I just how to do thinking, anything. It was, it was crazy. Cause every time I read Joe Thomas thought about his character, you know, I just juxtaposed him against Joe Thomas. Who's like six, seven, you know, white yeah. boy, but who's like, everybody's everything in football. And I was just like, <laughs> these are two totally different People with two totally different trajectories, both trying to get to the same place. Yeah. And and Joe, my Joe Thomas doesn't even know the place he's trying to get to. Yeah. Like he's he, he got raised by a single mom who was in the drug trade. She's in prison when the when the book starts. You know, Joe is on the verge of being homeless. He's got an eviction notice posted to his door. So what do you do? And I mean, the, the point of this is. We all, in some form or fashion, deal with adversity. We do. And, and people here, you know, a lot of these folks have never even met a person of a different race. You know, like I was one of the first white people that some of the some of the players had ever met. And I think I was sort of part of Bryce Brown's social experiment and reason for participating in this book, because everything for him is about embrace the discomfort, learn how to deal with it. You know, you're going to deal with that adversity, but how do you respond, whether during a traffic stop or whether there's an argument? Like, how do you how do you de-escalate? It's like learning how to identify and beat the blitz. Like, you've got to figure out how to step out of the way, you know, de-escalate, calm the situation instead of what happened with Will Smith and Cardell Hayes. Like, a fender bender is not a reason to pull out a gun. Uh, and there are different ways. And so that's what this program is about. And if I, I think if people are interested in football, even if they're not, if you're interested in people, you know, like, I don't think this is a poverty story. I don't think it's a black story. I think it's an American story. Like this is an important part, you know, of our, of our country, of our culture. 
that it, for too long we've been pretending is is not as difficult. It's not real. Well, it is real. And and I just want people to sort of I want to show them this world. You know, I want to I want to show it to them just like I saw it and felt it. And that's impressive and powerful. How much of this writing or how much did writing this book change you and how you perceive the athletes that you cover? Um, you know, I mean, when you now when you know when you now go back to the newsroom, I mean we talk about diversity a lot, but you now have this new diversity of thought, which is it was powerful in itself. So how does it change you as well? It just makes me look at it from a very different perspective because like though I can't truly like live like the people at Carr live, you know, I spent I spent a lot of time there. You know, I saw and existed and breathed and absorbed as much as I possibly could, which, you know, it, like I tried to get as close as I can, you know, to living like some of the people who live down there in you know, when I go back to the newsroom, when I go back into, you know, society or like, you know, kind of, you know, the real world, as it were, like after the book is done, it just makes me know that like the people who got to the Washington Post, got to the state, you know, got to wherever, man, like what was their journey? Like how hard yeah. did they really yeah. have it? I mean, every, every one, you know, a lot of, a lot of times, man, it's just like a little miracle that happened. And like, we don't always ask, you know, how did this happen? You know, who helped you? You know, what was like kind of the moment? Like I, when I was sending the book out for a lot of people, you know, I was just, you know, I was asking like, hey, who was, who was the first person who told you that you could do this? You know, like you don't even know what this thing is. You don't know. It's not just like what your why is, it's what your what is. What mm. is it you want to do? Like, and then, then how do you get to that? You know, who drew that map for you for the first time? And I was lucky because my mom did that when I was a kid. Like she thought nothing was impossible, but a lot of people, it's just not that simple. So for the people that I work alongside, that I socialize with, you know, who like a lot of people are guarded about their backstory and you don't probe, you don't pry, but I can still be curious and I can still appreciate, I can still like understand that it wasn't that easy. That intellectual, that intellectual curiosity is what we're lacking. I mean, this book, because when you, you, you honestly, this is kind of crazy because I know you, I know the book, you read the front and back, but you're just not sure what type of writing you're going to get when you get and when you when you open your book i think that i think this book should be taught in many sports psychology classes across the country and a kind of sports journalism classes as well because this is not your tried and true journalism but this is this i believe is where journalism is going today so with that i got one more question for you kent before i let you get out of here because i know you got many other things that you need to do talk about coach brown because I feel like in so many black communities, particularly in the Deep South, you have these football coaches who are not only football coaches, but life coaches and fathers and the unsung heroes of the communities. How important is Coach Brown to Across the River and the Algiers community? And why was it so important that he played a central role in this book? He's got, like a lot of coaches, he's got all these sayings. You know, one of the best ones is you've got to reach them before you teach them. So he he speaks like coarsely, like he he speaks the language of young people. Yes, that includes profanity. Sometimes it includes insult. It's real. I mean, like this book is uncomfortable at times. And I, I, I think it should be, you know, like, because I think understanding, you know, comes sometimes at the cost of comfort. And if you can set that aside, like you will have a better chance of understanding but, you know, one of the things that, that is simultaneously inspiring and haunting about Bryce Brown is, is another saying, and that's, you have to give a life to save a life. Well, Bryce is truly willing to give his own life. He has no children, no family uh, of his own. Uh, he's 400 pounds. Like, he, he has, you know, a lot of mental health issues that he does not confront. 
Uh, he suffers from imposter syndrome, stress eating. Mm. You know, there are a lot of issues that he does not deal with because he has bigger problems. His his former quarterback was murdered in 2016, and that changed him forever. This is somebody whose father, whose best friend and, and favorite player that he's ever coached were all murdered. They're all buried in the same graveyard on the West Bank in New Orleans, and he drives by that graveyard every single day almost as a form of self-punishment because he doesn't understand why he made it, why he's still alive, and they're not. So the only way he knows to pay it forward is to teach these young people, this is a 100% black football team, 100% black coaching staff, teach them the way, you know, show them what he's learned. He's amazingly smart. I mean, like some of the, I've worked for great people managers, inspiring leaders. Bryce is probably the best that I've ever been around, no matter the context, no matter the business. You know, football is easy to them, and it's not about that. It's about reprogramming these vulnerable young people and teaching them that there is a way. Like, they can cross the river for good and never come back. And for that, for for them, that means success. It's unfortunate. Like, I don't think anybody should have to give a life to save a life. And it's un- it, it, it sucks in this country that sometimes that's possible. But I'm also thankful that Bryce Brown exists because there are a lot of Joe Thomases out there and not that many Bryce Browns. Man, tell folk where they can get the book from, because I will tell everybody you need to get this book before it is a movie or a uh, docuseries or whatever it's going to be. And Kent is an amazing writer. Watching you, you were a great writer then who got on the nerves of some Gamecock fans uh, or Gamecock coaches, more so than fans. And you, you've you actually become a much better writer today. So, so we're tell folk where they can get the book from. Well, I appreciate you saying that, man. Um, so goacrossthereriver.com. It's available anywhere. You know, I, I encourage people to support the local booksellers, you know, like let's, let's prop these small businesses up, particularly black owned small businesses like Baldwin and company in new Orleans. There's politics and pros in DC, you know, like support these places, please buy this book, please open your mind to read about this community that we don't like to think about so often. Man, thank you, my brother, for coming on the Bakari Sellers podcast. Always a true pleasure to be with you. See you in person at the first game when we beat Eastern Illinois. We start off number one, and we're going to get some votes for the top 25. (laughs) Go fight win, baby. I love it. All right, brother. Have a good one. Thank you. Before I let you go, I've got to give a shout out to my good friend and Senate Majority Leader Chuck Schumer for two big wins this week. First, and getting the $1 trillion infrastructure package out of the Senate, as well as the budget instructions for Congress to draft a $3.5 trillion proposal to invest in our human and social infrastructure. That's probably the largest single investment in our physical infrastructure and in our housing, schools, and families, and healthcare that we've seen in the history of this country. And $4.5 trillion flowing into the economy should allow us to make massive and transformative investments across the country. Now it's up to the House to get these proposals back to the Senate for final approval and onto this president's desk, a step I imagine will happen before the end of this year. That's a big deal, and he deserves his flowers for helping to deliver the key cornerstones of President Biden's agenda. And it should free up 2022 for Democrats to at least try to deliver on these justice issues I talk about every week in debt relief from student loans, police reform and voting rights. That if we can get anything done on this front next year, we can actually run on getting shit done in 2022 and earn folks votes. And that's that on that. We'll see you all on Monday.
This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios' Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes, enter the kingdom in IMAX on May 10th and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. 